Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. The True Wealth Project podcast is all about how to give your wealth a meaning. Join us as we are exploring the areas of financial wealth, impact or purpose, and succession or legacy. My name is Sasha Janssen, and I'm your host for today's show. Today, I want to welcome Myrie Mikkel. Myrie is a family business advisor and has founded her own consultancy specializing in the communication and trust building necessary in succession planning with UK multi-generational business families. She's a previous board director and fourth generation owner of McTaggart and Mickle. Until recently, she was chair of her family's grant giving fund. And she also holds a portfolio of independent non-executive director roles with privately owned businesses and charities. She tutors, speaks and publishes within the UK business sector on topics such as family business governance structures, family business leadership and next generation development, culture, family philanthropy, and educating future owners. Hello, Myri. Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. Thank you very much for having me on this morning, Sasha. It's our pleasure. Myri, I'm quite excited to have you on the show. We've had some, some really interesting guests here, um, but with your background from a fourth generation family business in conjunction with your advisory role in the field, you are quite a rare species to, uh, to talk to you. Um, to set the scene, can you, can you please give us a short version of your CV and more importantly, what motivated you to take the various steps? Sure. Um, thank you. I've never been described as a, as a rare person, so I, I'm going <laughs> to take that as a compliment. Thank you. Um, well, you should take it as one anyway. <laughs> so I um, grew up in a business family, really. My dad was already the third generation of our family business, McTaggart & Mickle which builds um, homes, residential new homes throughout mm -hmm. the central belt of Scotland. And I can talk more about the business later if it's of interest. Mm -hmm. So the business was already quite well established, but I, I, I knew from an early age that my name, my surname was on boards, sales boards throughout the city in which I lived. So I had some awareness that um, that had significance. Um, so after school, I read English at university in my undergraduate and I did a postgrad in communications in Sydney. Um, and I went to work in advertising um, after leaving school. In fact, I worked in my uncle's firm. So that was my first family business okay. role. Although I, I didn't tell anyone he was my uncle. I thought it would be best to keep it quiet. <laughs> yeah. um, and then um, when I was about 28, I had a conversation with my father in which I said, I've really had enough of working in an agency and I, I'd like to work client side. And I've been thinking a lot about the brand of the family business. And it's a brand I know and I feel a connection to. And I think that you could do with my help. I think I've got some value to bring. And I, I, I hope that I can have an opportunity to, to do that. So he, um, we were in a bar in Edinburgh and he, he almost fell off his seat. He was so surprised. I don't think he'd ever considered that maybe I might be interested, perhaps my brothers being a construction okay. business, but not me. So I joined the business in, um, so that was 2001, I joined the business and I um, worked as the head of sales and marketing. Um, so I inherited a team of 12. Having only ever had a team of one beforehand, that was a sharp learning curve. Yes. And I, yeah, was, I, I was the youngest. I was youngest in our sales and marketing department as well. Okay. So, um, but I was welcomed. The, they, my joining was handled very well. So I was welcomed. I came with skills. 
um, and it was a fantastic start. So I stayed in the business for 10 years, five years into that role in sales and marketing. We really hit the, um, the buffers 2007, 2008 with the downturn mm. and the business restructured and diversified. And during that time, I got an opportunity to become a director on the board. So I joined the board in 2008, um, mm. just after the birth of my second child. Um, and I stayed in that role and learned a lot. You learn a lot when you're working in one of the fastest recessions. The, the sort of deepest and, and most quickly um, yeah. impactful recessions that we'd certainly seen through uh, our 94 years of, of being in business. Yeah. Um, f- wind forward a few years, there was a succession going on between my father's generation, my father and my uncle, and my generation, which is the fourth, in leadership terms. There were some difficult um, conversations happening with the wider shareholder group there were some difficult dynamics in the business between the second, third and fourth generations. There was some difficult dynamics for me at home. My marriage was in trouble, my first marriage. And actually I decided at that point that there was too many tensions everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, I felt alone and isolated and didn't know that, that there would possibly be anyone that would understand. And so I left the business um, and sp- spent a couple of years um, educating myself as a non-executive director and mm. I also um, undertook a coaching qualification I retrained as a family business advisor I found the family firm institute um, and I went to a couple of their conferences and I suddenly felt I had come home okay. and um, I retrained as an advisor um, and really in probably 2013 I launched my consultancy my Mary Mickles business families um, mm. and it's 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 been a, a roller coaster mostly fun since then okay that's uh I, I think that's quite a quite a journey um no I mean you you touched on your on your family history on your uh, family business history and um that that the the fact that your family business was founded in I think it was 1925 wasn't it yes um and Tell us a bit more about how you grew up with that in the background. I mean, how did you experience that as a as a child um, or teenager? I mean, were, I mean, you mentioned that your dad was quite surprised by you asking to join the business. So, so presumably there were no expectations for you to get involved. Um, but, but generally, how was that handled by your parents and and, and possibly wider family? Um. I think when you're born into the fourth generation, there has already been some time to reflect by older generations on the mindset and the role of the family in a business. Mm-hmm. And at this stage, when I was born, my grandfather was very much in charge of the business. My grandfather, Douglas, he was the son of the founder. Mm-hmm. And then my dad and his first cousin, Derek, were also directors at that mm-hmm. stage, having both qualified as architects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the family was very much in a governing position within the business there were no family members you know throughout the workforce as it were Mm -hmm. being a construction business we have a lot of a lot of people that work on site so there's many layers of hierarchy as it were so they were already making that journey towards governance a governance mindset that happens over time with most families through the generations so I think it was with that lens that my 
father was then surprised that I wanted to work within the business because I think he'd been a director for so long. Perhaps he hadn't quite considered um, what value me and my brothers and indeed my cousin's side of the family might bring at that, at that level of um, middle management, which, which is where I came in. Um, my cousin joined the business just before me. He has a land and planning um, background and so something very useful again for the business as my yeah. skills were. Um, and I think that my dad had decided that he, the kind of, um, my parents are old hippies. Yeah, they were both at art school in the 60s. And I think part of that was that they, they were very much of that mindset that they didn't want to pressurize us. They just wanted us to be happy. We heard that okay. all through our childhood. We just want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. So there was no obligation to join. There was the opposite of that. Okay. And so I think when I said to him, actually, I'd really like to join because I, it looks like fun. Um, mm -hmm. I think I've got something to bring. Um, so that conversation was about merit and was as far away from obligation as, as you, it could be. So I think that's probably why he was surprised. Okay. Um, a few years later, my brother, my younger brother, also joined the business. He's now on the board. Mm -hmm. And um, he, I think on some level, did feel a bit obliged to join. It's something that I think he put on himself. Um, mm -hmm. He went to university to do architecture and then ran a marquee company for many years, which isn't that different from constructing homes, actually. You know, getting a gang of people to actually come together and build something. Yeah. So he came through our site, he came through working on our sites and now yeah. sits on the board and is a wonderful, wonderful family representative in yeah. our company. Okay. But I'm I'm just trying to understand because you said that your 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 business or yeah, well the the business uh, came from a from a governance mindset, but then I I would assume that typically you would have some sort of um succession plan or uh, leadership development plan. But that didn't involve, or was it just not the time that, that your dad thought, well, it's about time to, to get going on that? Well, if you put it into context, this was the 90s, yeah? yeah? So this is probably just before governance is as prominent as it is now due mm -hmm. to all the corporate scandals that have occurred, especially in the UK. Yeah. So I think governance in those days, the board meeting was you know, a really lovely long lunch with a couple of glasses of wine yeah. and the decisions were made over coffees and cigars. And I don't think we were alone in, in that kind of, I think many family businesses probably still operate like that. So um, governance was, was, was loose. Um, and so planning was quite loose. Mm -hmm. um, my, my father understands his own succession into the business from his father he works, He did his seven-year architecture degree, worked somewhere else for a few years, and then joined the business um, as a man, probably in his mid to late 20s, and was, was asked to come in and, and felt he had something to bring as well as an architect. And then he tells this funny story that he went in to speak to his dad, and his dad said, why are you asking me about this £2 million business transaction? You just got on with it. You're in charge now. And I think by this time he was in his early 40s. Yeah. Um, and family businesses are full of stories like that, where governance and succession planning is quite informal. Yeah. And I think even when it came to me, there was no formal career development planning for me um, mm -hmm. or anyone in my generation. <clears throat> I think it was partly up to us to induct ourselves. And yeah. that was something I did when I became a director. I went off and took some training 
-hmm. I spent time with a financial director to understand what I should be expected to, how I could question our financial statements more appropriately. So it was self-taught. Although I did have a mentor of sort in the form of our CEO who is non-family. And Mm -hmm. I think he was in charge of making sure that they got that my transition was smooth, but it was never formal. Mm-hmm. It was there, but it was more felt than, um, than known. I think that's an interesting uh, uh, point. I mean, as, as someone coming from a fam- family with a, with a history of four generations, from a, from a family business with a history of four generations, I mean, if, if not formal, but, but how um, did your family uh, transfer that, that sense of, tradition or legacy uh, across the generations is there a recipe i mean i understand it's informal but but that, are there any rituals or traditions or uh, things that happened um to to make sure that that these customs and and, and, and structures and, and and the mentality i suppose were transferred well uh, rituals and traditions and values which i think is what you're talking about mm-hmm. In, in some essence are quite esoteric. So for me, it was about what behaviors represented those. And what mm-hmm. I saw happen was um, I, there was a lot of pride. Yeah, we're building a product that is probably the biggest thing that anyone will ever buy. Yeah, mm-hmm. the most expensive thing that you probably will ever buy is your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs terms, it's, it's high up there in importance to, for um, mm-hmm. human prosperity is having a home and, and safety and warmth. So we understand that we are selling something incredibly significant. Mm. And therefore, that was always there as a behavior that we have to build a really high quality product that we're proud of that will last. So when we drive down this street near our home and see the homes we built in 50 years, 100 years time, they still look fantastic. People mm-hmm. still talk of them. They yeah. retain their value through subsequent um, sales. And that we're proud of what we've achieved and what we've done. It's a huge legacy piece because it's visible yes. and it's tangible yeah, um, yeah. and it's expensive and, it's, and it's, um, it's aspirational. So what I saw was my grandfather, my dad and my mum. In fact, my mum designed our, <laughs> my mum designed the um, uniforms for our sales consultants and mm-hmm. she did, she was an interior designer. Mm, she did mm-hmm. quite a lot of interior design in our show home. So she was involved in bits and pieces as well. And yeah. it, it was what I felt was that sense of um, pride. Yeah. I think that's, and I'm to be associated with this brand that was spoken of highly yeah. and to appreciate that people were making such a commitment in purchasing some a home from us and so i and you have to match that commitment with your own mm-hmm. and um and that's part of i think what i brought to the business was in a family business you have to understand why does it matter to your customers that you're a family business why mm-hmm. is that important you have to understand the essence of your familyness and why that's important and for us it's if you're buying a home, you want to know you pay your deposit and in six months time when you get the keys, that builder is still in business. So they're financial secure. So I think all these things, the rituals and the traditions don't over borrow uh, on the business. Make sure you don't over promise. Mm. um, Behave in a manner that engenders trust. Mm. 
yeah. all of these were i i was born into a family in which they were already there i couldn't have told you like i am now about yes. that when yeah. i was a teenager but you did feel it yeah yeah you know you felt there was a sense of pride and responsibility that came with that yeah so i mean i, I mean as you as you as you mentioned that the, the, these terms like uh, family governance and, and things like that they they weren't really um in existence or at least not widely used at the time um but so so basically what you're saying is you 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 were living that as a family as a business and uh that the the uh, the values so the sense of pride and what you mentioned is it basically has served as as the glue or as the foundation and and basically as the uh, framework for what we would today call family governance yeah and also when i started to understand that that was attractive to me that those rituals traditions and values were attractive to me this is me just thinking out loud here. That was probably my tipping point for saying, I want to go work there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm not yeah. seeing this in the world of advertising agencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, some of the ethics I was witnessing were challenging me. And mm -hmm. actually, there's an ethical business. There's a responsible business. Um, there is a place where my dad's office, you know, that his PA was, who then ended up, we worked together in the sales team. She'd known me since I was you know, a baby. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would pop in after school and we would have a chat and she's still a really good friend of mine today. Yeah. That stuff was so, it continues to be so attractive to me mm. and many others. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's certainly things you can't buy. I mean, there's, no, there's something that has to be developed um, and it probably isn't even actively developed, but it just sort of happens and develops by more or less by itself, but by living the values that you mentioned. Because otherwise, you know, employees don't don't stay forever. They only stay uh, when they're attracted to the business in in a, in a uh, sustainable way, and that, that which, clearly, I think, has to do with with those values. Which is what trust is, isn't it? Trust is yes. where the enacted yeah. and the espoused yeah. Are yeah. match, where what yeah. you're saying about yourself and how you behave actually match. Which is why um, our country and our politics is in such a bad position right now because the gap between the enacted and the espoused is, is huge. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so it was, it was, it was, it was, it was that, um, and it's a mission led piece, isn't it? Lots of family mm. businesses are led by a mission. And, yeah. um, I think that's what makes them an attractive place to work and to, to be involved in as a customer or a supplier. Yeah, I, th I think that's becoming uh, more and more important. I mean, there's a lot of uh, pieces you can read about, you know, millennials um, who 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 are attracted to uh, to businesses with with a wider mission and values than than just to make money, basically. Go work for a family business. That's what I would say to all of those millennials. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. I think that's why 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 family businesses are are in a good position at the moment because that that clearly. Uh, is becoming more and more relevant again um, after, well, as you mentioned, the uh, state of politics and that sort of thing. But we don't really want to go into that okay. <laughs> in depth. I'll, I'll stay away from. I'll stay away from that then. Yeah. Well, you don't. You don't have to stay away from it. But it's. it's I'm, I'm just saying it's. It's not what we're here to talk about in the in the uh, sure. you know, as, as a topic. But um, it, it it is clearly relevant and it it, it has an effect on on on. Uh, the business world in at large, but uh, you know the position of family business in particular, businesses in particular. I think 
and uh, they, they, they are in a good position to, uh, to reap the rewards of that, generally speaking. Now, has, is, I mean, I, I sense from what you were saying that, that all that has, has brought you to where you are today. And uh, I also sense that you don't think that's, or you don't feel it to be a burden, but rather than, than a, um, a, a gift. Is that right? You mean being an being an owner and being involved in a business family? Is that what your question? Yeah. 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 It's it is a gift. It's a happy accident of my birth mm-hmm. that uh, that I was born into a business yeah. family. It's a gift. Yeah. And and but you 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 at the same time you stepped away from that. Um, does that? I mean, presumably that wasn't easy, as as you mentioned. Um, but what was if, what, yeah? Sorry. If you think about the three circles, which probably you and most of the listeners will be familiar with, of ownership, family, mm-hmm. and business, yeah. the only one I stepped out of was the business circle. Yeah. So I'm still in the ownership circle, and I'm still in the family circle. Yeah. So what I consider now is that the best value I can add to the whole system is by being an active shareholder, mm-hmm. and so we have properly constituted governance frameworks now in the form of a family council and an AGM. Um, Mm -hmm. And I go along to these and I ask the questions that I can ask to um, really understand that the business is still representing the shareholder value, but it's also behaving as ethically and responsibly as it can Mm -hmm. um, on behalf of all of our stakeholders. And because Mm -hmm. I know the business so well, having worked there for 10 years, I'm sure sometimes I ask questions and they think, oh God, it's her again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually very valuable for a business, isn't it? Because to have someone on the outside who's been on the inside um, of the operation itself um, is, is, I mean, you can, you can clearly see through some of the fog better than, than, than others could because you simply know the business much better. I hope so. <laughs> um, is that is, I'm, I'm interested about uh, that family council thing. Is that something that that came uh, about uh, uh, as a result of your initiative, or was that uh, initiated somewhere else in the family, or how, how did that happen? Um, we now have our first two of generation five in as shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of an age split. So four of generation five are in their twenties and thirties and the other 10 are between the ages of two and 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have our first two on now. So I think it, this is still evolving the family council piece. And that's something that I am working with our non-exec chair on is how that evolves to yeah. be the best possible, uh, forum for the business and the family and the owners for Mm. generation five but it it evolved because we got uh um we we had a shareholders forum for a while um and it i think let me think i think it was two things i think it was during the evolution of from generation three to four and we restructured the business and we took on a new non-exec and i think he was our first formally appointed non-exec Mm-hmm. So we've had non-execs in the business, non-executive mm-hmm. directors since generation two. And mm-hmm. in fact, we have a non-exec chair just now. Um, but our first formally appointed, I think he came with that idea of a shareholders forum. I think he'd actually seen it in, in 
I think he was following that Mittelstand German um, idea of where, ah. you know, where you have a proper and governing forum for your owners yeah. and yeah. what influence they have over the board or yeah. otherwise. So he, he came with some examples from German, some German family businesses, okay. actually. So that must have been 10 years ago, probably, mm-hmm. maybe eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And it continues to evolve as it has to. Um, we now have three generations of family members sitting shoulder to shoulder in that forum through from our oldest shareholder, who's probably in his mid 80s, through to uh, a 28 year old. It's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I think we should be doing something to encourage them, to educate them, because one of them is a nursery nurse and the other one is a vet. Yeah. Um, the Generation five, that is, that are now sitting in that forum. And, you know, they've never sat in a boardroom. And yeah. so I'm, I'm very keen on supporting them to be able to add value, find their value, to find yeah. their yeah. value and be able to add it. Yeah. And also to know what's going on. Why, you know, if, if they're presented with a set of company accounts in our annual report, you know, how, what do they understand? What do they need to understand? What's expected of them as shareholders? So I'm mm-hmm. encouraging that conversation to happen with our non-exec chair just now. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Can you maybe take us briefly through the, the evolution that's happened so far? I mean, you said that, you know, that like 10 years ago, you set up this shareholder forum, but now it's a, it, it, it's a family council. Can you, can you just br- briefly explain to us what the, what the mechanics are? How often do you meet? What sort of format does that take? Is it formal? Is it informal? Those sorts of things. Sure. We now meet twice a year mm-hmm. um, as a family council. And we also have an AGM that's separate. Mm-hmm. Um, the non-exec director sets the agenda and it sends it out a little bit in advance um, with the minutes of the previous meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we can add into the agenda at that stage or in the meeting itself. Mm-hmm. Um, on that agenda will be, um, we always receive a trading update from our CEO. We'll have our financial director doing a report on the current finances of the pension um and then we'll have really our business is now split into trading arms and an investment arm. So we'll have we'll hear from the leads there. And then my brother Andrew, uh, my brother Ross, sorry, and my cousin Andrew, who are the two family, the only two remaining family members in the business on the mm-hmm. board, they will both present a bit about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will be invited to ask questions all the way through that. Um, and indeed we do. Um, We'll be discussing the dividend, which is, of course, always a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be dis- there is a proposal, and we have to, you know, vote for and second the proposal for the dividend level. So there is some voting to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be reappointing the auditors and the directors at the AGM. You know, the usual AGM yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and then there's an opportunity. Really, we have now formalised a family. We're going to do an annual family, I guess we call it a family assembly, where mm-hmm. we come together as a wider family group. So all the children and the spouses. Mm-hmm. And what we have started to do, we did it last year for the first time. We're going to do it again next year is um, visit one of our more remote sites. Mm-hmm. So the business is now buying land, developing, investing and building down south. Um, mm-hmm. 
So last year we visited our development um, in the Cotswolds and mm -hmm. then next year there's a bit of talk um, about maybe going to London to look at some of our investment properties in London. Mm -hmm. um, so how many people take part in that assembly? Just roughly. I think the last one was probably about 25. Okay. So there's, um, I, the gosh, there could be a lot more than that next year, though. That was the first one. <laughs> okay. So it, I think actually, as they grow and people encourage their children to come yeah, along as well, yeah. especially their older children, I, it's a great way to. All these children are going to be owners at some yeah. point, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is part of my thinking. Yeah. Let's have more of these family assemblies, or just informal or formal get-togethers beyond the family council, which is a formal meeting. Yeah. And let's have more of those. And so we. Because the cousins are quite split now, fifth generation, they're quite far apart. They might not yeah. know each other. They might not yeah. even know each other's names. Yeah. These people are going to be sitting on an owner's board or an owner's form of some kind in the future. Let's yeah. get them to know each other. Let's get them to understand what the business is for, what yeah. it means to own. So they can actually identify, oh, that's a McTaggart and Micklehouse. Yes. Um, yeah. So all of these things, we can start that really young. It's very yeah. light touch. Well, but basically, to to uh, um, carry on that that sense of pride, I suppose that you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also the, talent. And let's be yeah. vulgar. Also, potentially talent spot. You know. Oh yeah, of course. What a yeah. great opportunity. Yeah. Um, to say, okay, who's interested? Who might have talent that's relevant for the future? So, my father uh, has already started a program of very relaxed program of taking our younger generation fives mm -hmm. that's the, between two and 14 out to our developments to actually give them a little tour yeah um and he is our first nickel male to leave the business alive yeah that's ah. quite significant <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh, absolutely because i think in, in family businesses there, there there's this uh well i don't like to call it a tradition but it's it's not rare that 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 the, um, uh, the the current generation cannot let go, right? Yeah, and they yeah. They, they, they they essentially die with their boots on. And yeah. my dad was the first to leave at seventy three, um, and I'm very proud of him for that. But I do think one of the things, and this is a totally separate discussion, that there needs to be more focus on is supporting uh, older senior generations or retiring founders of family businesses to find meaning beyond the business. Yes. Go yeah. by meaning, whatever that means to them, are yeah. significant roles of significance that give them meaning. Yeah. And often they're philanthropic. Yes. And this in some ways, what, what dad is doing in supporting and encouraging the next generation to take that sense of pride of ownership, um, of, responsibility in community sense mm -hmm. um he's instilling that those rituals those traditions in some ways without meaning to by mm -hmm. simply taking some of this young generation of future owners out to see our developments and to just check in with the brand and the, yeah. and the business family that's probably the um, best way to do it rather than uh, you know do it in a, in a too formal way that may scare off the younger generation but I suppose Absolutely. that's that's for, for every family to sort out themselves at, what, what the best way age, for them is. Yeah.
at this age, it's appropriate. As they get a little older, the, 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 the big group of Generation 5s, as they get a little older, we'll definitely yeah. do something more dynamic, maybe have a bit of entrepreneurial fun, yeah. um, maybe invite them in to do something more formal or informal in the business. Who knows? Yeah. But at this yeah. age, it's, this is, that's the sort of, we believe that's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, that sounds right. And, and on the, um, on the uh, family council, how many members are there approximately? Fifteen, probably. Okay. We have, yeah, maybe fifty. I think we've got mm -hmm. eighteen or nineteen shareholders, mm -hmm. um, and a number of those shares are owned through trust still, yeah. and and majority are direct. Yeah. So, it's probably no, we never get a full complement. Um, yeah. But yeah. So it's getting quite a big bunch now. And and where where do you normally hold these meetings? In the head office in Glasgow, in the business's yeah. head office. Yeah, yeah you've so got a boardroom there where where yeah. they all congregate and then then yeah, and, okay yeah and you reconnect that way they're reconnecting back to um the source really you know it's full of our uh, staff it's it's um full of opportunities to know and learn more about the business and what yeah. we're up to yeah yeah okay okay well that that sounds like uh, you've got um well, you've got some way to go yet, but you are well on the way of having done quite something there, uh, because I think that's that's what a lot of uh, families um, still have not uh, really uh, considered or are, are not doing yet. But um, I, I think a lot of them are also maybe scared away by terms like family governance, which I still struggle with uh, as a word because it sounds so off-putting really <laughs> but you know to, to keep it as as informal especially in the earlier stages i think is, is probably the best recipe because then, it, then nobody's scared away by any terms or formalisms yeah. and that sort it of has thing. to be governance has to be appropriate to the size and the needs of your business and your yeah, family yeah. Um, there's no point in putting in all this structure if, if your family is too small or the business is too early. But I would say from generation two onwards, I recommend to my clients that they have a family owners forum of some yeah. kind to suit them from generation two onwards. And they also take a non-exec on the board from generation two onwards yeah. at the minimum. Um, uh, but yes, sometimes that falls on deaf ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so 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 basically, I mean, I, I think I can, I can almost answer the next question for myself. But you know, the, the question would have been, can you advise our listeners on how to start such a process? But 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 um, um, I mean, as you alluded, it, it sort of it, it started relatively informal and and still is informal to a degree but it is sort of evolving into something more structured and, and um, you take it step by step and you try and stay in touch with, with what the family and the business can digest basically. Right. Yeah. And it has to, it depends what's showing up, what the need is. Yeah. So if you're finding that you need some more boundaries because business is being discussed all over your family life, mm. then I would recommend that tells me, that more formality is needed even a board meeting is needed yeah. um, and often what happens in families they then have a board meeting but actually it's really just a management meeting mm. and so often what shows up there is strategic considerations never get time to be aired it's a firefighting meeting yeah and if that is showing up then i would say that the need is, is that becomes formalized as a management meeting mm. and there is a, a separate meeting with 
specific matters reserved. I, I do a course for the Institute of Directors here in Scotland called The Role of the Family Business and the Board. Um, mm -hmm. Because a lot of directors like me had no formal training before they became board members. Yeah. They don't understand their fiduciary duties under the Companies Act, yeah. um, which actually is quite scary if, yeah. you, consider, if you consider that ethically. Yeah. So I do this course because I think governance is just about preparing to make governance is, well, to me, family governance is about preparing to make better decisions and wrapping around a structure that will support you to continue to make better decisions to yeah. secure the yeah. future of your, your business and your family. Yeah. Um, but yes, I agree with you. The word can be off-putting. Off yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I haven't given up to find a better term for it, but I haven't succeeded so far. <laughs> anyway. Um, when you do, uh, share it with me, please. Yeah, we'll, we'll. <laughs> if ever, if, if, if something comes to my mind, I, I will share it, yes. Um, now, looking back at, as far as you can, across, uh, you know, uh, at, at the four generations of your family business, is, is there something... Uh, like a, a, in a nutshell, um, you know, what does it take to create such a lasting family business? And what's the recipe um, to success in, in terms of succession? Um, <clears throat> Dennis Jaffe has put out a book about a year ago called, I think it's called A Hundred Years of Family Business. Hang on, I've got a copy here. The Resilience of a Hundred-Year Family Enterprise, Dennis Jaffe. Mm -hmm. And he, I, I couldn't summarize it more succinctly and perfectly than he did. He, he said that a business like ours, we're almost a hundred years old. The reason I put down to our success, and he captures it there, three forces that align around strategic renewal. Mm -hmm. One of them is business discipline. And that has, is definitely present in our business now. There's a lot of discipline. Um, and, and that's not just driven by family. We have fantastic non-family executives. And the entire, our entire workforce is non-family. So the discipline we have now mm. really helps secure the success of today. And hopefully will continue to help us do that, especially through things like Brexit, which are causing a lot of issues for a business yeah. like ours. Yeah. Um, in uncertainty terms. So discipline, number one. Number two, as Dennis puts it, opportunistic innovation. So in other words, diversify, mm -hmm. look for opportunities, continue to innovate, lead the yeah. market, grow your geography, evolve your products, train mm -hmm. your people. We do all of these things. And, yeah. and, uh, and I really think that, especially in a downturn, continuing to focus on what is possible for all of those um, different areas in which you can innovate is key. Mm -hmm. um, and the third thing that I'm supporting a conversation on now and I hope to see continue to grow is setting a vision for the family. Mm. So why, why, do we, why do we own this business? Yeah. Uh, what's it for? Um, what and that is for, it for the family versus the business itself. Yeah, for the family as owners to think, why, why are we owning this business together? Yeah. Um, what, 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 can, what can we, um, what values drive our ownership strategy? Yeah. What is our ownership strategy? Mm -hmm. um, and what impact might that have on the business and the business on us? Um, yeah. 
And I think those three things, business discipline, opportunistic innovation, and setting and defining a family vision, um, as Dennis Jaffe's research will show you, and actually in the case of our business, these are the things that keep us journeying across the generations. Mm -hmm. And it's, those are the, although often I lead with the third thing, the family vision in my work, mm -hmm. without the other two in place, and I support evolutions in those areas too, um, a family business really needs all three, you know, it's like the three-legged yeah. stool. Yeah. Um, to keep going for this length of time, if that's their ambition. And if their ambition is to sell, then I think that's fantastic too. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just think it's up to people to work out what their intentions are. And if your intention is to grow across the generations, then set yourself up that way. And if your intention is to grow for one more generation and then sell, and then the family can live off the money, brilliant, you know, if, as long as you decide. <laughs> yeah, well... Well, exactly. I mean, it, it, I, th I think I suppose that's that's the the, the difference between uh, being reactive or active. And and I mean, things can change over time. I mean, you know, if if you decide now um, that that you want to keep the business for the longer term, then you know the next generation or the generation after that may decide differently. But um, as you say, at least you 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 once you decide, you can act. Otherwise, you're just in a position to having to react to something that, that maybe nobody wanted. And it still surprises me today how many family businesses I go into work for who say, we need a succession plan or you know, we're, we're finding this transition painful, please help us. Mm. And actually, as soon as I dig around, I discover there's no strategic plan either. And these mm. are some of these are big household names and I, yeah. I'm still surprised by that. Maybe I shouldn't be. Um, because planning is not a plan. You know, you yeah. don't make a plan and stick to it. You're always in a stage of planning. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's always an evolution. There's always the renewal. I think yes. in any long term or business with a long term ambition. Yeah, I think there has to be because I think there's this uh, famous quote uh, saying that that you know life is what's happening while you're making plans, and um, that's what it is, isn't it? Things change, situations change. I mean, something like Brexit. Uh, you know, people. Uh, weren't aware of uh, three or four years ago, um, at least not seriously, um, but things happen and you need to adjust. So you need to adjust plans, but that, that's not an excuse not to start planning. Yeah. Um, and in fact, if a client says to me, I don't want to plan, I'm, I'm too um, entrepreneurial and entrepreneurs don't plan. They just, you know, they're yeah. very instinctive. Then, then that's data in itself too, isn't it? You yeah. can say, okay, what is it you're believing about yourself that yeah. um, you're so instinctive you can overcome anything? So yeah. um, I like resistance. I work with resistance all the time. It's, it's, uh, it's data. It's all data to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, um, uh, I mean, I understand. I think I understand how your, how your um, structures and your family business evolved. Um, is that, is that for for the um, uh, uninitiated? Uh, are there sort of three of three to five important or initial steps that you could recommend to get started with such a process? Sorry, the process of governance, or yeah, yeah, or succession, or you know, just making the the, the family business um more uh resilient and, and and setting it up for for the longer term future 
Well, I think definitely the three, if I can put in the, the three of Dennis Jaffe's around business discipline, innovation, yeah. Yeah. And family mission. But I think on a, those are sort of very strategic and high level and, and for a younger business perhaps seem irrelevant. So mm-hmm. what would I say? Don't build your plans based on assumption. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably number one. Mm-hmm. In other words, understand really seek to understand what everyone's intention is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you ask people, why, why do you own this business together? And they say, well, actually, I never wanted to own it. Yeah. Um, so really get underneath the skin would be my number one. Find out people's intentions, find out mm-hmm. where there are assumptions and yeah. get some transparency and honesty into your planning yeah. before you start. I should imagine that's not easy for some families because there there are often a lot of things that remain unsaid for considerable periods of times. It's it's not easy. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially I understand there are in the UK and in Europe and in America, we are very independent cultures. So we're encouraged to speak up and, you know, in more honor based cultures in, uh, in the, in the, sort of in china and asia yeah. um a lot goes unsaid and i understand it's very it's even complex for us in independent cultures to yeah. tackle that one so that's why i think getting if it is too difficult and it frequently is it's a complex discussion to have um for many reasons and try to bring in somebody independent who yeah. can is non-judgmental is impartial who's able to support that process because if you think about it family businesses where um it's a it's a conspiracy of needs you know it's where the business needs capital to grow it's where an aging family member might be driven and motivated by financial security Mm. a younger member is really after leadership role and ownership um there's tax planning in there you know, there's all sorts of things going on at once. And, and even one of those things, like the financial anxiety of the senior member, can derail any conversation yeah. if that's not understood. So it's incredibly complex. So the more advisors that are trusted and capable to help those intergeneral con- intergenerational conversations, the better. So I would say that's probably number two. So if it's question assumptions and build your plans based on transparency, number two is talk about it and find Mm. if it's if it's really too complex to do make a choice to bring in people that you trust and who know can create a safe space for those conversations to to begin and and take your time um people say oh when should i start succession planning and i would joke and say 10 years ago yeah um, because that's how you're laughing. That's how long it takes, you know. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it, well, you, you should start as soon as possible, basically. Yeah. As you said, 10 years ago would, would be the best time, but, yeah. Um, and, and if, yeah, so those are the things. Just, just start today. And, and part of that is the, really the, the key bit is where do we want to go and why do we mm. want to go there? Mm. Um, Where do we want to go and why? Yeah. yeah. So these are big, these are big, difficult questions, and I fully appreciate that. But succession planning isn't easy. But making a choice 
not to do it is still making a choice. Well, it is, yeah. yeah. It, f- it feels easier because you don't have to do anything to make that choice. But, um, but in, in, in principle, it's probably the choice you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't make if, if, and, if you, you know, were act- uh, consciously doing it. Yeah. And know there'll be bumps in the road as there, as there, as there were for us, you know, yeah. we, whether it's death or divorce, these inevitable um, things of life can really cause concern and, and, and destabilize yeah. Uh, yeah. family businesses. So finding a way to, as part of your planning, to scenario plan out what might happen in the future uh, or what will happen rather, you know, because people are going to die. And if the majority shareholder is getting older and is unwell, then that has to be part of that scenario planning, which is complex in itself, having to have a conversation about mortality with anyone, mm, let alone your yeah, children. Yeah. So I never underestimate how complex it's going to be, but I, I think finding people that can help you stabilize the business and the family during those planning the conversations is key yeah and i think something else that that comes along with all what you said because it it can sound very daunting is that that you probably shouldn't bring a a perfectionist mindset to to starting um because it's clearly not going to be the the, the most perfect structure and, and most perfect uh, outcome uh, after you've had your your first discussions about all this so, you know, it's, it's a process, I think. That's, that's also quite important to realise. A longer-term bril- process. Yeah. That's brilliant. And, and there's a very good um, advisor out there called Steve Legler. Yeah. Um, He's been on our he, show, too, actually. Oh, has he? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, uh, I love his, his blogs. The, yeah. I always, I always reply and tell him that the light bulbs that go off, his use of an understanding of language is wonderful. And he always says it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, um, it's a transition, not a transfer. Yeah. You know, a transfer is rational and it happens overnight like a bank transfer was a transition yeah. takes time and planning and it's a journey. And, yeah. uh, and many people need to be involved in making sure you know where you're going to, where you've come from and who's on board. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, you're absolutely right there. Yeah. And something else that, that um, I've come across quite frequently is, is, is you know, it, it can feel quite problematic to, uh, to get family buy-in and engagement uh, on that journey. Is there anything that, that you can say on that or give advice on, on how to involve the closer and maybe wider family? I mean, I, I think you're, as you, as you mentioned, your dad, uh, you know, sort of taking, taking the younger generation uh, onto the development sides and, and showing them around, giving them feel for the business. I think that's something that is probably um, along the lines of things that, that can help with that. But is that something else, maybe? Sorry, what was your question? Just help me understand. Now, how, that. Can, how, can you, how can you engage uh, the family into... Uh, getting started in these processes or in, in, in you know, aligning themselves with the business of, uh, you know, and, and, and thinking more longer term and, and uh, being engaged with the business and the family in, in the sense of succession and tradition or transition. Starting with those forums, I think, where you mm-hmm. come together around your common purpose, which is, or your commonality, even if common purpose is still elusive, Mm. The commonality is the family. The mm. commonality is ownership. 
Mm. Even those discussions, bringing people together and simply even having no agenda uh, and, and, and telling stories. I, the power of telling stories about the past. Why was this business founded? What was it like back then? What was it like for you when you worked with the second generation? Um, there's, the power of storytelling is phenomenal. Even for people that weren't there at the time, it creates a sense of togetherness, of inclusivity, of legacy, of pride. Mm. Um, one of the other things that we do, and I wouldn't mind talking about this anyway, and I'm all, I think all families can do this, um, who own a business together, or who have owned a business together, is we have a, a family grant-giving trust called the Mickle Fund, which is now in its 50 second year of mm-hmm. um, running mm-hmm. so it was established by my grandfather Douglas yeah. and um, one of the things that uh, we have been doing at the Mickle Fund on purpose for about 10 years I used to chair it and this is another role that my dad took on as he exited from the business which was mm-hmm. entirely socially engineered by my mother and I Um, so one of the things we do in that forum is that all the trustees of our grant giving family trust are non-working shareholders of the family business Mm -hmm. so they either used to work there and don't now or they they have never worked there and so we engage them in the discussion about legacy and purpose and family and togetherness and history Mm -hmm. through the trust yeah so that not only are they, um, they're contributing value, yeah? That's where they contribute their value. Yeah. One of them is a professional skier, an ex-professional skier. One is in AI. One is a yoga teacher. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's me. My father's there. And we'll, Mikkel will give us two members of staff and free administrative support and also they give us some money to distribute on their behalf so there's mm-hmm. a very strong link with the company still yeah. and their in-kind support but it allows us primarily back to your question to um, bring into this uh, sort of business family cuddle the non-working shareholders in a way that they can see the merit that they bring and add value to that piece around philanthropy yeah um, and they can help make the decisions and change and support lives for the disadvantaged through through this philanthropic trust so yeah. that's 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 something that we are very keen on bringing the next generation through an appropriate level in that forum as well I think that's very good advice. I mean, it's, 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 it's again, I mean, it's about having all those discussions and, and, and telling the stories, but you're using philanthropy or the trust as a vehicle to, uh, to allow you to do that in a more natural, maybe non-formal way. In, in, you know, so the, the conversation and the communication follows naturally from being involved in such a fund. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. people feel, people feel engaged because yeah, um, it keeps you engaged to the vision and the mission of the founder and their children. The, the, the trust was set up because in, nine, in the late 60s, my grandfather travelled to Glasgow every day on the train mm-hmm. uh, to the head office. And on his way home, he saw the same homeless man on the steps of the station every day. Yeah. And um, he said to him, 
you know, we had a conversation with him and it struck him. I mean, that was his late 60s. We've got a homeless epidemic in Scotland. Um, he said to him, you know, why do I see you every day? And uh, he, my, after having that conversation with him, he established our family trust. And his ambition had been to solve homelessness, you know, which was incredibly ambitious. But um, And it's still a central tenet of what we do today. Um, so that, connect, that keeps the shareholders connected into that sort of Victorian sense of patriarchy that exists in our family business as well. Yeah. It's established yeah. with that value. Okay. Now, um, I mean, the, the, this show is called the, the True Wealth Project Podcast. And, and um, I, basically, I work of a concept that I call the True Wealth Formula, which, which basically says that, that true wealth consists of, of some form of uh, combination between financial wealth, uh, uh, impact or purpose, and succession or legacy. Um, now, what, what does that true wealth mean for you? Um, I mean, presumably, it's not just financial wealth, but... Um, what is most important to you in that aspect? And I was thinking about this, about true wealth, and actually there's so much of it is about intellectual and sort of human capital in terms mm. of wealth as well, because that's been handed down through our business family. Yeah. And that's not only in the form of um, capital in terms of uh, financial capital, mm. but also that idea of what it means to own yeah. And the sense of responsibility that comes with that mm -hmm. and how you put yourself into that picture. Mm -hmm. um, as my dad was considering his exit from the business, he was introducing the relevant people, including the next generation, to his contacts. Let's say, for example, so uh, these are the contacts I know in land, these are the contacts I know in construction because that's, that's that's part of our intellectual capital of the business is downloading those yeah. contacts those way of doing things from his brain and you know passing it on in the right way to the next generation that's a very specific example but that to me that's part of what makes wealth any wealth or capital within a business is all that intellectual and, and social yeah. capital as well yeah Absolutely. And in, in, in terms of creating true wealth for, for yourself, what do you think your key achievements have been to date? I mean, are they more within your family business or is it more your, your consultancy or what is it that, that you think have been your achievements in that respect to create true wealth for yourself as a person? Um, so is that question about the things I've been most proud of? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what immediately comes to mind is probably the work with the Mickle Fund, mm -hmm. that particularly when I was the chair in um, modernising all of the processes so that our donation requests, those needing money from us, could access that money more easily. Um, I undertook quite a big exercise in governance. So I think that wealth creation piece around actually being able to help those who are less fortunate than us yeah. jumps out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not just with our agenda. We've always been the kind of givers um, through that environment where we will then um, 
ask the charity what it's that they need funding for. So we let the funding often be unrestricted. We're a very small grant giving charity, but um, we try to ensure that the, we're amplifying the money that we give charities with any other useful skills or wealth that we have within our intellectual capabilities. So whether that's my father supporting a charity who are doing a capital expenditure project and who don't really speak the same language almost as the architects, he will go and sit in the middle there as a consultant and offer his services for free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the charity gets the best, uh, the best result for the capital expenditure project from their architects. So we'll all do things like that as well as trustees. So definitely I would say that mm -hmm. I would say, um, I hope I create true wealth for my clients. I certainly um, lead them to or support them as a resource for change to get to a place where they're able to have those difficult conversations and make some plans together. Yeah, yeah. And on, on, on your uh, journey to create true wealth for yourself or your clients, are there anything or what have been the biggest challenges there and, and are there things you wish you had known earlier? Or is it just basically a result of all your experiences that, that you had to go through as everybody else? Um, I'd wish I'd known that there was family business advisors out there who could have supported the kind of conversations that we were not able to have at that time. And mm. um, some of which resulted in my exiting the business, which was of course incredibly bruising. Mm. Um, but actually because of that, I get it. I can entirely empathize with other family yeah. businesses yeah. and I see it as my duty to help that sector thrive and survive. Yeah. Well, and that's that what I meant when, when I initially said you are a rare species because that, that really is, is, is a very, very valuable experience that you bring to the table being an advisor to other families. I hope so. <laughs> I think I said earlier that I, I hoped I'd known, I wish I'd known about, um, about a bit more about um, stabilizing and continuity in the context of my own family business, that there were people like me now, <laughs> family business advisors who were able to support some of those very complex and tricky uh, psychological conversations to mm. encourage um, continuity um, uh, because there is much, there is much wealth in continuity, if if of purpose, um, and so I, that's something I wish I'd known. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's come to me a bit more recently is because I do, I am involved in a lot of philanthropic activity personally, um, not just through the Mickle Fund, but also I'm driven to use my uh, uh, intellectual wealth, which I see as my I have a very wide and deep network of contacts mm -hmm. so I'm very driven to bring people together to do good mm -hmm. uh, and whether that nearly always has a charitable element to it so what I mean by that say for example Maggie's is a, a big charity in, in Edinburgh that, who are attached to all of the oncology cancer units in our hospitals and they offer free advice and support for people and their families that are suffering from cancer. Now, mm -hmm. it's an incredible organization that patches people back together, you know, finding them the benefits they need while they're off work, having chemotherapy, uh, supporting them to have those difficult conversations with their family about their treatment and mm -hmm. their 
their their um, possible terminal diagnosis. And so I I see one of the things, and I wish I'd understood this when I was younger about using my intellectual wealth, which I see as my network, to gently bring together change makers to actually be able to significantly add value to the work mm-hmm. of that charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, one of the things I now understand, it doesn't just have to be about financial giving. Yeah. Capital, we all have inside of us as humans the, the, the intellectual capacity and capital to be able to create change not from our own social agenda, but to be able to leverage our networks, to be able to leverage our skills and abilities um, to really make change in the way that charities need. Um, It's not to just overlay our agenda, which we're seeing a lot of, I think, in the world today. We're seeing the demise of of a lot of public-driven charitable change and mm. public conversation, and we're seeing a lot of privatisation, mm. where I think sometimes um, elitist views surface more than the views of the needy. Mm. Um, so I'm saying not that kind of social change and not that kind of wealth creation, but actually putting your own skills, your own human determination and energy, your own networks to better use to try yeah. and create change, whether yeah. that's through conversation, whether that's really through action, which is what we all want, um, and social change on that level. Yeah. So I wish I'd understood that earlier. I understand it now very clearly in my 40s, but I really wish um, that that conversation is something I have with my children. You know, how can we, yeah. how can we stop homelessness? You know, what can we do? Um, how do we volunteer where we're needed to make change happen for the disadvantaged. We have an incredibly privileged life through a happy accident of my birth being born into this profitable business family. How do we leverage that for best effect for others without putting our agenda into that? So that's something that I'm quite driven by, as you'll hear at the moment um, about that conversation. Very well well said. Um... And I'm I'm reading a book I want to plug. it's called Winners Take All. It's a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Um, the author is called Anand Giridharadas, I think. It's spelled mm-hmm. G-I-R-I-D-H-E-R-A-D-E-S. I can get you to link to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's about the um, how really we can work together mm-hmm. as global citizens to change the world. And yeah. I think that's one of the true wealth pieces of being part of a business family that I would like to see amplified. Mm-hmm. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, the, Thank the, you. The title. Um, if 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 you had to choose again, would would you take the same path? I mean, all, all of what you said, you know, uh, joining the family business, leaving it, setting up your own consultancy, etc. I mean, is is that the path you would choose again to to get where you want to be? Yes. Okay. That's, yes, because that's I. That's a clear yes. I I I don't I don't think regret is a particularly helpful emotion. I think we sure. all are where we all are where we are yeah. in life, and it's our experiences yeah. that shape us. And if yeah. you can look back and think, oh, um, I can even some of that wasn't desperately pleasant in the um, exit. If I can utilize those experiences to go, do good for others, yeah. then I wouldn't change what I've experienced. No way. 
yeah. and actually it's been what a, what a blast I've had um, and I now get to help mission-led families continue to thrive and survive it's an, such a privilege to do the work I do so yeah. no I wouldn't I wouldn't change the thing I'd maybe thank my mum for being such a good mum earlier in, in in my life I didn't come to that point till I became a parent myself to, then you thank your own parents for all the, yeah. all the stuff you've yeah. Yeah, maybe absolutely. I would do that differently <laughs> okay and what do you want to be remembered for Oh, that's such a good question. And I ask my clients that. What do I want to be remembered for? <laughs> Here we go. Now it's your turn. <laughs> um, what do I want to be remembered for? I, the eyes, I guess it's, gosh, it's, it's a difficult one to answer because I, I sound quite arrogant, but I'd like to be remembered for hopefully being a wise resource for people to draw on when they needed mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. to be not to have been an, an impartial and non-judgmental sounding board that allowed mm -hmm. people to really know and understand themselves and where they wanted to go with their lives yeah, yeah. Um, i mean i'm a coach so that's a huge part of what i do is hopefully yeah. i'm a resource for change so maybe yeah. that's how i would like to be remembered oh she was a good resource for change yeah. <laughs> and she was fun yeah, I'd like to be remembered one. for being fun. Yeah, yeah. Resource for change. Yeah, very good. And and do you feel there's there's uh, still room for improvement, or in other words, where do you still want to go? I couldn't possibly call myself a family business expert as I do if I wasn't continually trying to evolve yeah. and understand and learn. So, oh gosh, always room for improvement from parenting <laughs> right through to the work I do with my clients. Absolutely. Yeah. So but you, you don't have a particular aim that you're striving for. It's sort of, you're just saying that, that you are evolving as you've always been and, and still are. I'm always reading new books, always understanding that in every conversation, someone is an expert in something that I know nothing about. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm part of some fantastic peer groups with my family business advising um, peers all mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. And they're incredibly worthwhile. Even this conversation, you learn so much, don't you, from from one another, Sasha? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. certainly I am. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm here to explore things for uh, for myself and our listeners. But I'm 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 clearly the 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 newbie to the field uh, compared to you. I mean, <laughs> it's um, yeah. Well, your found. ambition and what you're doing with this podcast is very admirable. So thank you very much for involving me in that. Well, thanks for saying that and thanks for uh, for being involved. Um, now, I'm conscious of your time. I just have a, a, a few last questions and, and I think that they're hopefully there to, to help you rather than, than this podcast or myself. Uh, is there anything that is missing or anything that would be of, of particular advantage or useful or helpful for you um, to, to, uh, to accompany you on your, on your further journey? any particular kind of support that you would uh, uh, could do with or something like that? Um, I wish there were more people doing what I do here in Scotland and in the UK. There are a number of people, but I wish there were more. And mm -hmm. I wish that the that, that family businesses identified themselves as a family business earlier. Yeah. And that they sought the right kind of support for some of these incredibly difficult conversations earlier. And that there was more of us raising the whole 
profile of the sector and raising mm -hmm. the bar on how best to advise them based mm -hmm. on what they really needed. And I'm starting to enter into some of those conversations with with my peers here now, but I, I, I'm impatient for that work. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and if, if there's anyone listening saying, oh, oh, I feel motivated by that, where, where can people find you or contact you best? And my website is businessfamilies.co.uk mm -hmm. um, or you can just search me on LinkedIn mm -hmm. um, or follow me on Twitter, which is mary.mickle. So um, I, I'm very happy to have conversations with, with, with anyone and I love to learn. So really happy for people to reach mm -hmm. out. Okay, we'll, we'll put those... Uh, uh links in the show notes too so people can find you and now the, the very last question which is kind of our signature question if if there was one thing and only one thing you could change about our planet our society or the world we live in what would that be gosh that's a biggie to finish on <laughs> <laughs> um that there was less of a gap between the incredibly wealthy and the incredibly disadvantaged yeah, um, that the, the, the gap that I particularly see when I travel to America, but it is yeah. also here in Europe. Yeah, um, yeah. that that was lessened and that society was more was more equal. Um, I think that's probably something I would wish for. I'm an idealist, so yeah, um, I would wish for that and any conversation to 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 have to lead yeah. to that. Nice one. Good. Well, Mary. Thanks a lot for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. We had a bit of a technical uh, hiccup in between, in the middle, but um, I think we'll sort that out in the editing stage. Um, thank you very much for being with us. Um, and and uh, well, actually, I'll hope to speak to you soon. Um, I, th I think there's plenty of scope for for a follow-on conversation, maybe at some point in the time in the in the future. Um, maybe we can find a, a, a particular topic um, to, to delve into deeper um, if you're up to it. Uh, and if not, you know, I, I'll, I wish you all the best for your, for your ongoing journey. And I think you've got a lot to offer to your clients and, and other uh, business families um, that, that can benefit and, and, and profit from, from your personal experience. I think it's very, very valuable what you're doing. And I'd love to hear more about you, Sasha, and the work that you're doing with your clients as well. So, yes, let's please set up a follow-on conversation when hopefully we won't have the technical hitch. Yes. Um, and thank you so much for having me on the show today. I feel like I've talked far too much. I hope it oh, will no, make no, sense. That's the point. The, the point is to get the guests talking, not me. Okay. Well, thank <laughs> so you very much for that. Yeah. Well, thank you, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Sasha. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the True Wealth Project podcast. If you like this episode, please do not forget to rate us on iTunes. You are, of course, also welcome to write a review if you like. Also, make sure you never miss an episode in the future by joining the True Wealth community. Just follow the link in the description and sign up at no cost. We promise not to spam you. Thank you.